Let's turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3 on Sunday morning and uh, studying the book of Colossians in a series entitled, Give Me Jesus. And as we're turning there, just a reminder that Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation currently and the Gospel according to Luke and uh, chapter 9 if you want to read ahead before you come this evening. And then uh, just another reminder related to the night of worship coming up next uh, Sunday night. And I am uh, so ready for Christmas and to celebrate our Savior's birth. And uh, the, I, I mean, it was kind of weird, this whole weird 2020, when I saw the first Christmas ad a couple months ago. Um, and uh, I got a little weepy. I mean, it was like, okay, I can't wait for this to happen. I'll probably fall apart when I see those Clydesdales and, uh, or any kind of a patriotic ad uh, related to Christmas. But the true meaning next uh, Sunday night. Of course, we're kind of paperless now in this COVID era. And uh, so we'll depend upon you to invite uh, friends and loved ones to come out in addition to your own families will come together, all age groups, and be a part of, of that evening service. Uh, we'll look at a single verse uh, 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 this morning, verse 18, but I want to pick the context up a little bit uh, by reading uh, four verses. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 18. Uh, Wives, uh, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Let's pray together now. Fathers, we see this institution of yours called marriage under such attack within a Western culture and really around the world. And with so many voices and, and so many lies and so many deceptions and so many people waxing eloquent today in their instruction and so much nurturing of uh, rebellion and so much selfishness that is so destructive toward uh, marriage, we pray that you would use today and the next couple of weeks to really realign our thoughts concerning what it is that you want us to be, those of us who are married, uh, as wives and as husbands in this wonderful, wonderful thing that you created called holy matrimony. And so fill us with your spirit and give us, as Pastor Bob has already prayed, ears to hear your spirit speak to us today from your word. And we pray for that, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So the church at Colossae had fallen prey to all of these various false teachers that had infiltrated the church and had convinced this group of Christians that somehow uh, spiritual true, spiritual depth and, and spiritual maturity is to be found in uh, legalism or in human philosophy or some kind of a, a, an unbiblical mystical experience or in asceticism. And all of this the Apostle Paul corrected doctrinally in the first half of this letter. The second half of the letter, chapters 3 and 4, Paul instructed them, and he instructs us as a result, concerning where true spiritual depth and true spiritual maturity uh, is found, and where it is achieved, and where it is manifested in our lives as uh, Christians. And it isn't found in all of the crazy things that the false teachers were uh, advocating, but rather, as we've seen, in being an influence for godliness and peace within any local church that we attend. Uh, by letting the peace of God rule in our hearts, by allowing the Word of God to dwell in us richly, by worshiping God in spirit and in truth through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and then doing whatever we do in word and deed, uh, doing it in the name of Jesus, and then also by simply being thankful. 
And then here in chapter 3, verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4, Paul goes on to inform us of, really fascinatingly to me, uh, that true spiritual and depth and maturity are not to be found in uh, all of the spiritually exotic and kind of rarefied places that we think we'll so often find them as Christians, in some uh, part of a, a deeper life club within the body of Christ as a whole or uh, within a lo uh, local church, but that true spiritual depth and maturity is found really in the daily of life in the nitty-gritty uh, of life and in the ordinary in life. It is uh, spiritual depth and maturity develops as we honor God in our marriages and uh, as wives and as husbands and as children and as parents and then also uh, through our jobs. And personally, I would contend that we will gain more spiritual depth and maturity as Christians by being faithful to God in what are considered to be these ordinary areas in life than we will uh, ever develop by uh, gaining a theological degree independent of being faithful to God in these ordinary uh, areas of life. Years ago, I was at a pastor's conference in Southern California, and uh, one of the pastors got up and he closed a uh, worship set with a uh, very masculine, uh, very guttural version of Be Thou My Vision. And, uh, and uh, after the session, the teaching session was over, I asked a friend of mine where I could get a recording uh, of that song, and not his rendition of it, but the song uh, in general. And uh, he declared that his favorite version of the song was uh, to be found on a, a double album of spiritual songs that were sung by Van Morrison uh, entitled Hymns to the Silence. Well, back in those days, you couldn't just, at least with that double album, you couldn't just download a single song. Uh, so I purchased the double CD set and uh, Be Thou My uh, a Vision. Uh, his is my favorite uh, version of that, that particular hymn uh, as well. But also on that album is a song called Ordinary Life, which essentially talks about the fact that life is not found where we so often think that it's going to be found. And some kind of a desperate... Uh, uh, search for uh, some unique or exotic experience within our lives, but rather life is truly experienced and truly found in the beauty of the ordinary in life by recognizing uh, the beauty and the blessing of just the ordinary, daily, nitty-gritty things in life. Uh, and uh, as he uh, lays out in that song that the ordinary life, uh, it keeps us safe. It keeps us stable and our feet firmly planted uh, on the ground. I think that uh, there's a truth related to that. So often if there's a catastrophic, catastrophic event that occurs in our life, the loss of a loved one or whatever it might be, and how often, uh, even on a natural level, independently, Dependent of what uh, God does, just in terms of how He's uh, built things and created things. One of the healthiest things that a person can do is to start to re-engage once again in the daily of life, the nitty-gritty of life, to get around uh, uh, the other people that are healthy and moving forward, and then society moving forward, and, and it's needed. I know uh, someone personally who is in such a frenzied, uh, desperate uh, attempt to, to experience anything and everything in life with the idea that somehow uh, some individual experience or some collection of them will finally bring them peace and bring them uh, satisfaction in life and not realizing that life and uh, where life is really found is right under their nose. Uh, 
but they're missing it completely in, in a, and, and uh, uh, being born again and then coming to see and appreciate that for all of the ups and downs in life, that life is found really in the sanctified ordinary in life. The things that we don't tend to think of as deeply spiritual, uh, but they really, really are. Marriage, family, work, earning a living, these kind of things. And in this vein, the Apostle Paul begins with the subject of marriage and the specific role of wives and husbands within uh, a Christian marriage. But before we move uh, into that particular realm here this morning, I think it's important to take a moment or two to uh, remember that marriage is an institution of God. And God, having created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all this is recorded there in Genesis chapter 2, before He commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, He initiated the ordinance of marriage. And upon creating uh, Adam and Eve, He then presented Eve to uh, Adam as His wife, having created Eve from uh, Adam. And Adam's response is recorded for us there. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then immediately in the next verse, the Holy Spirit declared concerning marriage, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And one of the, uh, the reasons that it's important to understand that marriage is an institution of God, that it has its origin in God, is vital for a couple of reasons. First, it informs us that in what is, it comes to a complete surprise to the average person uh, is that uh, marriage is not an invention of man. And because it is not an invention of man, man has no right to alter it any way, uh, to change it or to redefine it. So man is absolutely free to go out, invent his own thing in this regard, call it whatever he likes, but we are not free to co-opt marriage from God and then make it what we want it to be. The second reason that it's important to understand that marriage has its origin in God is because only the originator, only the creator of the institution is then qualified as as an authority on the institution and his instruction concerning marriage, having created it, can never be improved upon uh, by man. In other words, since God created it, and since He created mankind, since He created both male and female, each of the participants in a marriage, since He knows uh, how uh, the ways in which we are different from one another, but in a complementary uh, uh, way, uh, better than anyone else, better than certainly we know even ourselves then only He knows not only what marriage is intended to be, but only He is able to speak then authoritatively concerning uh, the roles that uh, both the husband and the wife are to take within a marriage in order for it to be the blessing that He wants it to be uh, to us and in means of of glorifying uh, Him. In other words, God is, is the authority concerning marriage and the roles of both husbands and wives in marriage. And people can fight against God's instruction to both husbands and wives related to marriage, but all a person will ever do in doing that is just simply bloody themselves. I mean, you you look at how every attempt to redefine marriage within our culture and uh, look at how bold people have become in this regard. But you look at every attempt to redefine marriage within our, our culture in some sort of an attempt in the arrogance of man to improve marriage uh, uh, from man's point of view, and, and uh, every attempt to do so 
only mars marriage it and uh, and then it mars uh, if you're going to mar and harm marriage then you are going to harm a nation and you will harm a civilization uh, as a result and today people want to partake in the institution of marriage uh, but and enjoy all of the blessings of it but they don't want to do the very things that are foundational to it and they don't realize that if you change the foundation of marriage then it ceases to be what God intends it to be and then uh, uh, then then what happens is marriage gets a bad name and the younger the generation then the more marriage gets a bad name to them not realizing there's absolutely nothing wrong with the institution of marriage the problem is with the way the culture is handling marriage and individuals are uh, treating the marriage that they're involved in and I think that, uh, that while all of this is something that's very, very important that the world would understand, uh, but Christians need to hear it uh, almost as much as uh, uh, everyone else. And so we begin, as Paul did here, with uh, God's instruction to wives in marriages. You notice that he addresses uh, uh, wives as wives. So it's written to women who are uh, in this uh, relationship of marriage. And, uh, and this instruction, of course, is helpful for anyone, any wife, but it is especially written to uh, Christian wives. He goes on further with the instruction uh, declaring, submit to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own uh, husbands. In this, the Apostle Paul is saying uh, something that is pretty clear to us in this culture, but it wasn't that clear in, in all ancient cultures, and it isn't even clear in some parts of the world, cultures, and even some religions uh, within the world. And Paul informs wives that this submission is not extended to men in general. Uh, and submission to men in general is a, 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 part, a cultural part and a religious part of much of, of the world. But this submission extends only to the husband. And where there is this uh, subservience of women to all men uh, uh, beyond the husband uh, as, it, as it is practiced in the world, uh, uh, that it, that is not Christianity, and it is not what uh, Paul is talking about here. The Greek word for submit that Paul uses here comes from uh, two other Greek words, one meaning under and the other meaning uh, to place. And so it literally means to place uh, under. And as a result, the Apostle Paul tells uh, uh, Christian wives that they are to place themselves under uh, their uh, husbands. It doesn't tell the husbands to make their wives submit. Uh, that's not the role of, of the husband in, in, a, in a direct kind of a sense here. What, what he does with both the wives and the husbands here is that God makes this an issue between him and the wife. And then later, as we'll see another time, uh, in terms of husbands loving their wives, that's an issue that he doesn't call on the wives to accomplish within the husbands, but God is uh, dealing with the husband on an individual level in, in, in that kind of, uh, uh, of a way. And so, in this command to submit to your own husbands, there's the recognition that uh, there must be some kind of an authority structure here that she is to recognize and she is to honor. And there is. And uh, within the Christian marriage, within the Christian home, there is a God-given authority structure. And the Apostle Paul lays it out probably the most clearly in his letter to the church at uh, Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. He said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. 
So in terms of authority, not, a, not in terms of anything else, but in terms of authority, it's as follows. There is God the Father at the top, and then uh, comes Jesus. And it's important to realize that Paul is not communicating that Jesus is less than the Father in terms of deity or less than the Father in terms of equality, but speaking to the fact that Jesus took a position of submission to the Father in terms of His authority. And uh, Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, though this word submission is becoming uh, increasingly despised uh, 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 in uh, the uh, uh, increasing rebellion against all authority within the culture of the United States of America. So the idea of submission is increasingly despised within the culture, uh, but uh, never more so uh, than when it's applied to wives in marriage. And the Christian wife will understand that nothing that marked uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus himself as he submitted to the Father's will for uh, his, uh, in his life and ministry uh, can ever be wrong or ever be harmful uh, to her. So the authority structure, God the Father, Jesus, God the Son, and then there is the husband, and then there uh, is the wife. And every single human being, every person, male and female, is under authority uh, in this God-given uh, authority structure. It's important uh, to understand uh, the Bible, if we're going to it all, uh, is to come to realize that God is a God of order. And there is an order within the Godhead. There is an order in all of creation. There is an order in uh, another God-given institution called government. There is order in the church. And there is order in the family. And, and all of us, interestingly, all of us understand that you cannot maintain order without clearly defined authority, where somebody, a, a group of people in a particular situation asks, who makes the decision here? Uh, who has the authority to do that? Who has the authority to make the decision here where there may be two or three different strongly held opinions about how to go forward or what ought to happen uh, in a machine shop or wherever uh, it, it might be? And uh, without an established authority structure, all progress in every area of life would stop in this fallen world. The result would be absolute anarchy if there was no authority structure and a respect for that uh, authority uh, structure. And everywhere you look in a healthy, advancing, productive society, we accept the fact that someone must have ultimate authority in decision-making or comparatively little would ever get done and we view this as a good thing within the culture. We view this as a necessary thing within the culture. And the examples abound. I think about a, uh, a, a captain of a commercial jet, and there's at least one other pilot on that plane, but the captain has the ultimate responsibility and the ultimate authority concerning the flight. And so one pilot leads and the co-pilot assists. The co-pilot uh, submits. You can't have both leading equally in that cockpit uh, or word would get out about this and nobody would fly. And so 
You can't have two authority heads in the cockpit. That would just result in chaos, and it would result in uh, potential danger for everyone on the plane. I think about the chief surgeon in an operating room, and uh, he or she uh, is very, very wise as the chief surgeon to receive all of the input that they can from uh, all of the assistants and other medical uh, experts that are a part of the team that are, are accomplishing uh, the, the, the surgery. But when a situation is faced where there is a difference of opinion now on how to proceed, uh, the surgery is moved forward and it isn't as straightforward as they thought that it would be. And a real problem has occurred here and, uh, and, and it must be dealt with uh, urgently uh, in, in the situation and, uh, and uh, there can be a difference of opinion in terms of how uh, it sh uh, should proceed and uh, the chief surgeon has to make that call and, uh, and is expected to do that uh, in that operating room. You take uh, any construction site in, in the world, uh, no building would ever be built uh, if everyone on the job thought they were the superintendent. Uh, on the job, and they could do whatever they wanted. If there was no submission to authority, if there was no recognized uh, uh, authority, no, in order for anything to get built, uh, someone has to have the final say. Someone has to have the final authority in the decision uh, making. And every single one of us submits to authority all day, every day, and in terms of stopping at stop signs, stopping at uh, red lights, uh, obeying traffic laws, obeying all of the other various laws of the land, and uh, if there was not the authority to establish law for the good of others uh, somewhere, then sub uh, uh, submission to these uh, 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 laws would not occur without a, that authority. The whole world would sink into chaos. And so somebody has to have the authority and then be supported in that authority. And you can go on and on I I everywhere you want to look in life as an illustration of this. Uh, the necessity of recognized authority and submission to that authority. And you can look into any school classroom, uh, into any courtroom, any business, any sports team, everywhere you look in life. Again, each of us submits to authority all day, every day, and we think nothing of it. So how is, uh, is it that as a society, we can accept it and indeed view it as a good thing, as a necessary thing in all other areas of life and then condemn it out of hand uh, when the Bible applies it to the most important thing of all, the absolute bedrock of any culture or civilization when he applies it to his institution of marriage. It's very selective. Now, in this fallen world, uh, God knows you cannot have two ultimate heads in a marriage. Someone, whether it is the husband or whether it is the wife, someone must be uh, head in terms of ultimate authority. And God knowing how he has uniquely made man and uh, woman has chosen for man to have that responsibility and authority. Probably because he doesn't want it. <laughs> the average man won't fight for it. And so, in, uh, for instance, in any marriage, you have a decision needs to be made within the marriage. But there's a difference of opinion between the husband and the wife in terms of what decision uh, needs to be made, what direction to go in. And so if after prayer and after 
open, respectful discussion between one another related to the issue, uh, the division or the difference of opinion remains, then the husband has the authority and the responsibility to make that call. And then she is to support the authority that God has given to him. Again, the command does not require women to be subordinate to men in general, but to their husbands as a a function of order within the home. This is not saying in calling wives to submit that the husband is superior to the wife. They are both equally loved and and, uh, equally precious to the Lord. Uh, it doesn't, it isn't saying that the husband is of greater importance to God. It isn't saying that the husband is of greater value than the wife. A woman is no more inferior to a man uh, by virtue of submission than Jesus is inferior to God the Father by virtue of his uh, submission. It isn't saying that the husband is a better person than the wife. You want to take the classic example uh, of authority and submission and the necessity of it, then you take it even beyond law enforcement and you take it into the military. And here you can have a captain in the United States military. He has a higher rank than a private, and yet the private may be the better man. Uh, and yet, uh, and so it doesn't speak to the authority to whether one is a better person than the other. And again, submission doesn't mean that her perspective isn't to be communicated within uh, the marriage, that it isn't to be taken drop dead serious uh, by uh, the, uh, the husband and uh, carefully heeded by him concerning all of the decision-making that's the part, uh, a part of any marriage. And, and I would say uh, that no husband in his right mind uh, would ever lead and uh, make decisions within a marriage who does not take uh, into a tremendous consideration anything his wife has to say uh, about that decision and then to take it to prayer and to uh, really give it an, uh, an honest hearing in his heart and in his mind before God. Who else knows more about our situation or about us than our spouse? And who's closer to what the home situation uh, is and can, can speak uh, perspective into that uh, than, uh, than the two spouses that are engaged uh, in that? And so that the woman is uh, 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 not, uh, this whole idea of what's uh, the submission here isn't saying that the woman is not better than the man in many things, maybe in all things, uh, than her husband. Uh, uh, This doesn't mean that the wife in any area that she is far more gifted or even slightly more gifted than her husband in that that particular area of the marriage is to be delegated to her, but under the ultimate oversight and responsibility uh, of of the husband and that that, uh, recognition that she's far better at keeping the books or doing whatever it might be within, within the marriage. What it is saying is that the husband is called by God to lead and that it's a tremendous responsibility that one day he is going to stand before God Almighty and give an account for his faithfulness to lead his marriage and lead in his family. And in that responsibility, he is to be honored and supported and to be helped uh, in that responsibility with the submission of his uh, wife. And, and before we leave this, I think it's important to understand that this submission on the part of a Christian wife is not only a blessing to God and not only a blessing to her husband, but it results in tremendous uh, blessing for her because not always unfortunately, But uh, in the best of husbands, 
when there is this kind of a submission to uh, a loving leadership and a, and a desire to get things right and to be responsible in leading a family, when she provides that kind of a support to her husband, then it produces a, an immense love within the husband towards uh, such a wife and a respect and appreciation toward her. It isn't always true, but it's true in, in the best of of men. And a spiritual, intellectual, emotional, emotional and physical intimacy uh, at, at its highest uh, cannot occur between a husband and wife uh, without this kind of a, a submission to his authority. The, this kind of intimacy on all of those uh, levels uh, would be marred. They would, be suff- they would suffer in some kind of a way to one degree or another without that submission. And God knows very well how He has made men. And uh, the differences between men and women are far more uh, than merely physical. This world is crazy and uh, crazier by the day. And uh, I, I don't know how many people believe what is always put out there, but the idea that men and women are the same and boys and girls are the same. And, and uh, I, I, they've got to get around some children. Uh, on the playground and, uh, and, and, and just watch the, the innate differences that are there uh, uh, between them. And so God knows that those differences aren't merely physical. And when a man experiences the consistent submission and support of his wife, it provokes something very noble in him, it provokes something uh, even heroic within him, and it provokes within him a deep, deep sense of gratitude toward her and a, a, a deep sense of responsibility uh, for her. And so when he attempts to uh, lead in his marriage and his family against all of the kind of obstacles and adversaries that a, a Christian husband will face today in, in doing so in this fallen world, for him to know that no matter how hard things get, that uh, when he uh, looks by his side, that she is there. I think about my wife, Karen. I love her for so many reasons, but this is a powerful one. And uh, how she has stood with me through uh, all of these uh, 45 years. And uh, not only in a normal kind of marriage, but in all of the crazy decision-making and and sacrifices and things that are required as a part of the calling that is uh, upon uh, both of our lives and the steps of faith that are involved in, in all of it. And, and her submission and willingness to follow and support me. You, you do what you think is right here, she, she might say to me. And, and, uh, and far from ever producing within me uh, an idea that, oh, this is something I can take advantage of in her life and become the bully of the household. It never enters my mind. It just causes a very uh, sobering sense of responsibility to fall upon me that this person who I love so much is trusting me to lead her and the family properly. And it produces uh, a, a needed sobriety and, and a great appreciation a, as a result. It causes me to aim even uh, higher in leading her with love and with godly wisdom. And so it is in, uh, in, in our marriages. I'm not alone related to that. And finally, with uh, the, the moments we have left here, I want you to notice the reason and the motivation uh, for wives uh, submitting to their husbands. And it's encapsulated in those few words by the Holy Spirit uh, because it is fitting in the Lord. And uh, one of the things that that phrase does is it uh, reminds us that there are limitations 
to that uh, submission and, and her submission to her husband. So she is not compelled to submit to any demand of a husband, no wife is, that would require her to compromise uh, her relationship with God or compromise her obedience to the Word of God for the simple reason that that would not be fitting in the Lord. And so if he were to ask, if a husband was to ask his wife to steal or to lie uh, for uh, him or to cheat for him or to uh, watch inappropriate things on uh, television or to get drunk or to get uh, loaded, she is not compelled in any way to submit to a demand to do something that is contrary uh, to the Word of God. Also in this phrase, it is fitting in the Lord, uh, provides the wife with the absolute highest motivation for obeying uh, this commandment, a commandment that God knows more than anyone else is going to require uh, faith from her, is going to require sacrifice from her, and the highest motivation is it is fitting in the Lord, that she does it because it's right in God's eyes. And she obeys this commandment not supremely for her husband or the sake of her husband, uh, as wonderful as that might be in its own right, but she obeys the commandment supremely as unto the Lord, as an act of worship on her part toward, uh, toward the Lord. And so she recognizes that to do this is not merely a reflection upon her relationship with her husband, but it is also a reflection upon her relationship with God, a reflection upon her own submission and commitment and duty to the Lord's lordship in her life. And that the recognition that he is worthy of this because he has commanded it uh, quite independent of the husband. And she recognizes uh, concerning herself that she will one day stand before God, uh, not at the judgment seat of Christ, uh, no Christian will do that, but at the bema seat, the reward seat of Christ, and will one day be held accountable for her faithfulness to God's calling upon her life as a wife. And that she will stand there and give an account for uh, how she handled herself within that marriage as fully as any uh, missionary will or that any pastor will or uh, anyone else will within uh, the body of uh, Christ. And so the Christian wife, she looks at all of the spiritual blessings that are in her life she looks at her salvation. She looks at her forgiveness of sins, God's love in her life, God being with her, God being for her, the divine power of the Holy Spirit, the hope that is in her life that she owes to God, the peace that is in her life that she owes to God, the everlasting life that is hers. And she realizes that all of these things have been freely given to her by God. Uh, why? Why does she possess all of those blessings? She possesses them because of that despised word, uh, submission, because of the submission of Jesus Christ himself to God the Father in order to provide all of those things into her life. And again, she realizes that submission is not a dirty word, it is not the despised word that the world makes it out to be, but rather it is to be like Christ. And to be like Christ, as you look at Jesus' submission under the uh, hardest circumstances in life, talking about Calvary and everything that happened on that day prior to even the cross. 
And of course, any calling to be like Christ in this world is a good thing and a powerful thing in the hands of God. Now notice that in all of this, the Holy Spirit provides no guarantee, no guarantee at all, that if the Christian wife does this, that it will result in some particular outcome concerning her husband. There is no guarantee that it will result in a happy ending in this life concerning her marriage. Her submission to her husband, uh, uh, if everything was the way that it should be, it would result in powerful, dynamic, godly, wonderful, happy ending kind of things. But that's not the world that we live in. And it doesn't even happen so often within a Christian marriage. And the Lord doesn't promise that. He gives the command only that uh, the knowledge of her submission blesses and pleases the Lord. And that that will end, result in the happiest of all endings. When one day she stands before Jesus Christ himself, and from his mouth to her ear, she hears one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And, uh, and that will be the ultimate reward that is the single great unfailing expectation that she can bring to obedience in, this, uh, in the marriage and obedience to this command. Now, why in the world would the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, make uh, this submission a command? And then in the next verse, to call, uh, make uh, it a command that men would love their wives. Why would he make it a, a, a command except that, number one, it isn't natural to us, so it needs to be commanded. It doesn't just happen in our lives. And, and then why would he make it a command unless, uh, as a Christian, he also gave us the power then to obey uh, that command? And so he has. No wife... I don't care how wonderful her husband is, will ever be able to obey this command in her own strength. Uh, she will need the power that God supplies to us as Christians in the form of what is called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit not only being in her as a Christian, not only with her, but upon her, as Jesus declared there in Acts chapter uh, 1. The baptism with the Holy Spirit, the power to live for Christ in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The two hardest places in the entire world to live faithfully for God is on the other side of the world where no one knows you and then in our homes where everybody knows us. This command cannot be obeyed apart from the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And I think that sometimes we think of this power as kind of only necessary for some extraordinary kind of uh, uh, circumstances and callings in the Christian life. I mean, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's for people that like, they teach the Bible, they evangelize, or they're involved in serving somewhere in a local church and all. And, uh, and we, uh, but as we look at things, bringing it back to where we began, the baptism with the Holy Spirit is just as needy in the daily nitty-gritty of life maybe more so, of marriage, of family, of work, of these things that fill uh, literally for the average person 90% uh, of their waking uh, hours. And so it's needed 
in marriage. And if you've never received that baptism with the Holy Spirit, or you don't know what I'm talking about as, as a wife related to this, there'll be other pastors and others up in front immediately after the service. They'd love to explain it to you and pray with you to receive it. Or you can go online on the website and listen to a teaching related to that and, uh, and come up to speed on it uh, biblically. We must have the power of the Holy Spirit to, to live the Christian life that God calls us to live within our marriages. If you sit here today as an unmarried woman, you might wonder, what in the world does this have to say to me? I know I should have gone to Big Valley today, and uh, Pastor Rick would be talking on something that would surely be more applicable to me. This may be the most important uh, thing, one of the most important things that you'll ever hear in uh, your single life, as, uh, certainly if you're looking to be uh, married. So what does it have to say to you? It has a lot to say to you. Don't you ever marry a man. I don't care how charming he is. I don't care how handsome he is, how accomplished or successful uh, he is that you don't respect and whose judgment you don't respect and that you can't submit to or refuses to lead in his relationship with you, because otherwise it will end in a disaster. God has somebody else for you uh, in, in the marriage that he wants to call you to. And all of these things that people, again in our culture, they put before us, and it's all these exteriors and all of these plaques and degrees and accomplishments and all but, uh, and then can get missed until after the vows. Uh, what the guy is inside. And do I really respect his relationship with God? Do I really respect his decision making? Can I entrust my life uh, to him and his leadership in a way that God calls me to? And if that isn't there, then you're still looking for someone uh, else. And so, uh, well, this morning we didn't have time to get to the husbands, but uh, I know they're doing all they're supposed to be doing anyway. And uh, just kidding, you hold that thought and we'll uh, pick things up by moving in that direction next week. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, we see such an attack upon uh, your institution of marriage today, and all we see is damage and casualties and awfulness in all directions associated with uh, every attempt to redefine it, every attempt to ignore, Lord, not only the becoming husband and wife, but the responsibilities and the roles that are to be played within that marriage as well. And I pray, and we pray for one another, that you would use our time in your word this morning uh, to encourage in uh, the lives of wives that which is going well and that they're doing well. And then, Lord, also to correct anything that isn't right before you and um, anything area that there might be a slippage in this key area of submission. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you, as we head through it, you just address everything knowing that we need everything to be addressed within our lives. Now take this time in your word, take this verse and, and glorify yourself through it in the wife, life of every wife that is listening today. And we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.